This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. This is Jonathan Hansen, President of World Ministries International. I want to welcome all of you to the Warning Radio program. Today I have on Pastor Ronald Dimmeling founder of New Mount Zion Ministries. Ron, welcome back to the Warning Radio program. Well, thank you, my friend. It's good to be here. Pastor Ron lives in Tennessee. I've visited with him. He came to our meetings in Bristol, uh, Virginia, and uh, we went through Tennessee as we took this uh, six-week tour, state after state, uh, speaking and meeting with leaders. Uh, Ron, uh, when we were at your home in Tennessee, uh, you told me your history a little bit more about being a warlord uh, leader, a a bar fighter, a womanizer, uh, uh, drugs, alcohol, etc. And uh, I thought it was actually quite fascinating. I know people are always wondering, can God still use me? And, And and God is using you now uh, more than ever before. So why don't you give us your history? I mean, how in the world uh, did you become involved in, 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 in gangs and things like this? Go ahead, Ron. Well, you know, it started out as, you know, as many children, you know, I had a troubled childhood and ran away from home several times. And I joined the military at a young age. Actually, it was underage. I signed my mother's name and went into the military and ended up in Hawaii stationed there. Of course, there was a lot of turmoil going on in the 70s in the military, and it was just a, a rough time in my life. And uh, and so as I, you know, when I exited the military, I, I stayed in Hawaii for a few years. I couldn't kind of find my way there, so I decided to go back home to Kentucky and uh, was in the coal business in the uh, Back in Kentucky, everything rotates around the coal industry, and so I worked in the coal industry and 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 hauled coal. But we started a, a motorcycle gang. You know, we we, you know, me and my brothers and a, and some other friends of ours. You know, we started a motorcycle gang. We were always on the edge and had motorcycles, and so we started a chapter down where we lived of the Brothers of the Wheel Motorcycle Gang. Wow. Now, what did you do in uh, the military? I was a colonel's driver in the military, and I was in artillery and stationed in Schofield Barracks, Hawaii. And I drove Jeep for a colonel, actually. And uh, it was in the in the uh, early 70s. Wow. Wow. And so were, you, were your 
probably involved in uh, drinking there. Yeah, that that's where I was really kind of introduced to fighting and drinking. I, you know, I grew up as a uh, skinny young kid that was really afraid of everybody. And I'll never forget, I, I never would fight. Uh, somebody could punch me or hit me or do whatever they wanted to me, and I would just walk away, and I wouldn't fight anybody. And uh, one evening, on my way going to a club, uh, three guys jumped me, and uh, I fought these three guys. And I had a set of, uh, we took grenade links, and we would make chains out of them. And just so happens I had a set of them in my pocket and I pulled that set of grenade links out and I whipped three guys with it. And that really started my fighting. And I realized, wow, I don't have to let people hit me. I don't have to let people smack me. If I fight back, they'll respect me. Okay. And so now we'll fast forward it. Kentucky, you're in the coal business and uh, coal mining business. And, and you started a motorcycle gang. Yeah, we, we started the Brothers of the Wheel, a local motorcycle gang. And, of course, you know, sometimes it has a good element to it. Sometimes it has a bad element. There's always the underlying element to these things. And we would raise money for, you know, crippled children and do certain events in the neighborhood. But there was also that the other side of the motorcycle gang, the partying, the drinking, the drugs. Oh, you know, there were women everywhere. And, and that's the part that people don't always see. Wow. So you were involved heavily with drugs and alcohol. Yes, we, you know, we did, a, uh, of course, you know, riding in a motorcycle gang, there was a tremendous amount of alcohol. And, of course, there was pills and there was, you know, you know everybody was smoking pot. And it was just a lifestyle. I mean, it was just, it was just a lifestyle. That's that's what everybody enjoyed. That's what women were attracted to. That's what motorcycle people were attracted to. And, you know, we lived that lifestyle, my friend. We lived it to the hilt. Okay. You said uh, you got into bar fights. Uh, you were a fighter. You know, I shared with you how that my first fight, really first fight in my life when I had to defend myself. And I can tell you something about fighting that I found after being over 100 fights in my life, the one thing that I found about fighting, there is a satanic realm to it. There is literally a realm where, you know, as a fighter, you can get in a zone and you no longer feel the pain and you no longer feel the stuff. There is a there's a there's a high. There is a high to fighting. And I found that out and I caught myself more and more and more, not just, you know, going around picking on people, but more and more and more enjoying fighting when i used to be a little kid that was scared to death to fight wow so you got involved with fighting how many fights do you think you had I, i've had at least over 100 fights in my life i boxed some in the military and then when i got out of the military you know i was a young man troubled young man drinking a lot doing drugs i, I you know i had a troubled past you know i had a, a, a abusive stepfather and so i had all this built-in anger in me and of course, you know, drinking and drugs and these things doesn't doesn't help any of that. It just it just extends it out and and keeps you on that edge. Wow! And you had a lot of women. Yeah, well, the the area that I lived in in Pike County, Kentucky, it was a it's the home of the Hatfield McCoy feud. It's a has one of the largest coal reserves in the world, and so there's a you know there's a, a large coal industry there. 
Um, in the 70s and 80s, there were more millionaires in Pike County, Kentucky, than any other per capita than any county in the United States of America and through the coal industry. So there was a tremendous amount of money to be made in the coal industry if you would work hard. And so, uh, you know, we, we worked hard during the week. Then we partied hard on weekends. And so it was like a little patent place. It was just like, you know, you, you live that lifestyle that most people dream of where that you have the access to all these things. If you were tall, if you could fight, if you were halfway decent looking, and if you had money, you could just choose whatever amount of women you wanted. Wow. I think you told me you had three, 300 women. I, I, in my lifetime, I dated over 300 girls in that time frame. Yes. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, did you get involved? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure this alone, fighting and things like this, drugs, um, were illegal, pot, et cetera, during that time. But uh, what about some other criminal activity? Anything there? Well, you know, we, uh, the, the thing that we did, yes, you know, we, we, we were involved with drugs, which is, you know, which is criminal. We, we've had people went to jail. There were murders that took place um, in the community where I lived over the drugs that would come in. Um, a young girl was killed and buried alive, uh, you know, knocked in the head and buried alive. Uh, it, it, it was, it was an atmosphere that you never knew what was going to happen the next day because wow. you always wow. in the gang, you always had these people coming in. And I mean, we weren't killers or murderers, most of us, but the truth is, you know, we associated with people that were pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. And so your gangs, what had fights with other gangs? Well, the main thing that we had, we, we would ride and do, you know, do tributes and stuff. And, and we would at times, if you would get somewhere and we would go to a meet and there would be other gangs. But uh, most of our trouble was not with other gangs. Most of our trouble was with groups of people that would, you know, that would try to cause us trouble. Okay. Okay. And so um, what, what brought you out of this type of lifestyle, drugs, alcohol, uh, gang fights, uh, bar fights, uh, women. I, I think uh, you mentioned once to me when we were uh, talking and eating that uh, a woman came in and, and uh, pointed to you and, uh, and later on uh, you told her, you could have got me killed. Is that what started you about uh, look, looking to get out of that lifestyle and, and come to the Lord? Well, one of the problems with excess and one of the problems with having anything basically you want is that after a while, the euphoria, the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season, and it is. But there comes a day when you literally, the very thing that you chase after, you know, the, the joy is not there anymore. The euphoria is not there. The It's just like drugs. The high is not there anymore, and you got to do more and more and more. And so what happened in my life, it had gotten to where I had so much money. I had so many, you know, I mean, we had speedboats, we had cars, we had race cars, you know, we, we had motorcycles, airplanes. I was a pilot. I had access to so much stuff and I was supposed to be happy. And I realized that I wasn't happy. And I was, I was dating this, this, this girl that I really, really cared about. We had gotten into a fight and we had split up. And I still, my life, you know, my life was a mess. 
I mean, even though it looked from the outside like I had everything, Mercedes, everything that had Cadillac, everything that you have, pickups, it looks like you've got everything in, and it looks like you've got everything going on, but the truth is you're miserable, and and I was miserable, and we got into, uh, me and her had broken up, and, and she had come to a nightclub where I was at, and we had an agreement that I wouldn't go where she lived. She lived about 30 miles from me, and she wouldn't come where I lived, and here she was. She showed up at this nightclub and she was on one side of the dance floor and I was on the other side of the dance floor and some guy, some country boy who didn't know me come up and ask her to dance. And she pointed at me and said, if I dance with you, my boyfriend will, will beat you up. Well, he was feeling pretty good and he was pretty well drunk. So he started to cross the dance floor at me. And when he did, I knew it was coming on. I started to cross the floor at him and I literally just knocked him out well, he had four of his buddies with him. And so before the night was over, right there in the midst of all that trouble, you know, there I was fighting five guys and got hit in the head with three beer bottles and made it through that mess. And, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, uh, Dr. Hanson, I wasn't scared of much of anything. But, you know, that scared me that night. Not afraid of the fight. I wasn't afraid you know, that someone would whip me, but I realized I could have died that night. Yes, yes. Yeah, one beer bottle could kill you, not yet three. And, and you know, I got hit in the head with three beer bottles. And this is, I'm going to break down here because this is kind of the hand of God. You know, later I talked to God about it and I could just see the, the Holy Ghost just stuck his hand on the side of my face and, and kept those beer bottles from doing the damage that they should have done. They should have destroyed me. Yes. And they just they just kind of like bounced off the side of my head, you know? Wow. And it was a crazy, crazy night, crazy night. I mean, if you ever fought one guy, you know what it's like. But if you can imagine fighting five people and walking out of there and walking out of there, you know, end up getting out of the club and still being able to function, you know, but it's it, honestly, it scared me. And there wasn't much that scared me. Wow. Wow. So then what happened that, that turned you on to uh, well, Jesus Christ? Well, well, here's what happened. You know, we ended up out in the uh, parking lot. My girlfriend was there. I, I was by that time, I, I was I was wasted. And I had her by the back of the head and I was I was holding on to her. And I wasn't trying to hurt her or anything, but I was confused. And I said, do you know you could have got me killed? And we had this big argument and I kind of drug her around the park lot so of course me and her broke up went our separate ways and this was like three o'clock in the morning they started loading coal at five at five o'clock in the morning i was the first truck up on the hill and i mean i'm telling you i was wasted and i pulled up on the hill and i'll never forget the inloader man i i was one of these functioning drunks you know i i drank a lot so i could i could function drinking now i don't suggest anybody do that you've taken risk when you do that. And I'm not condoning it today. And I hate the lifestyle that I had, but I got up on the hill that morning, first truck on the hill and the inloader man hollered for the, for the first truck to come up in the coal pit. And so I pulled my truck up into the coal pit and you have to understand how a coal pit works. The inloaders, the bucket was in the air and the loader man would always put the bucket in the air and he would spot you. He would show you where to back into. So I looked and I saw the bucket up in the air and so I started to turn my truck around. Well, what I didn't know was 
is that he didn't realize I was in the coal pit. I was that close to the coal pit. And when he started, he was stacking coal and he was eating a sandwich with the bucket in there. And he grabbed a bite of his sandwich and he started backing up and he backed into the front of my a truck that I had and done about six, $7,000 damage. Wow. And for the first time in years, I heard the voice of God. I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, what else do I have to do to get your attention? I was already tore up. Yes. I was already in a shape that I knew I could have been killed that night. Very, very, very easy. And, and, and I knew that I had gotten into something that was much bigger than me. And I heard that small, still voice say to me, what do I have to do to get your attention? And that started it all right there. Wow. And, so who led you to the Lord? Did you lead yourself because you knew enough of the word of God or, or what happened? Well, you know, I had, I had actually been a preacher before. I had been studying to be a minister when I was a younger man. There was a time in my life when I had gotten close to God and, and I had gotten away from God. So, I, you know, I knew the scriptures pretty well. But, but I was, you know, I, I had told the Lord, I said, Lord, if, if when he said that, when the Holy Spirit said to me, what do I have to do to get your attention? It kind of scared me because I understood God. I had read the Bible enough about David and the prophets and some of the things, you know, when God speaks to you, you better listen to him. And it scared me. And I said, Lord, if you'll let me make it to the first wide spot. So I tied my bumper. If it tore the bumper off my truck, it done about seven, $8,000 damage to my truck. I tied the bumper up and tied everything down. And I said, okay, I'll make it to a wide spot and then I'll go work on my truck. But I said, Lord, if you'll let me make it to the first wide spot, I'll pull over and, and I'll get my heart right with you. Well, a buddy of mine was coming. He was coming the other direction who was a Christian man. So I hollered at him and I asked him to stop. And he, he pulled up and stopped. And I said, man, I, I said, my friend, I said, would you, would you pray with me? I want to get my heart right with God. Well, he got out of his truck for me and come over to me. And he said, <laughs> it was funny. He said, do what? I said, I want you to pray with me. I want to get my heart right with God. And he turned and looked at me and said, why, you can't get saved. <laughs> and You're drunk. And I said to him, surely God will save a drunk, won't he? And he said, 5-0, my handle was 5-0. I owned 5-0 Trucking Company. I, I lived in Hawaii, and I got the nickname 5-0 from Hawaii 5-0. And my company was 5-0 Trucking. And so he said, 5-0, you, you can't get saved. You can't drink anymore. I said, man, I don't want to drink anymore. He said, come on, man, you can't chase women anymore. I mean, I was well noted for, for, you know, the affairs and stuff that I had. And I, I said, man, I, I said, I don't want to chase women anymore. You don't understand. He said, but you can't fight anymore. And I said to him, brother, I don't want to fight. I said, I'm done. Would you pray with me? And he got down and prayed with me. Now you have to understand this was a man who was my friend that knew me. Yes. He, he was shocked. He was shocked. But he got down and prayed with me, and, and I accepted Christ that morning on the side of the hill, right over top of the, the Freeburn Church of God. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior up on the mountain. Wow. And, and, I, and I'll be honest with you. He said, he said I got to go. He said, I prayed with you. I'm not sure it did any good, but I prayed with you. And that's how I got saved, my friend. Wow. And ladies and gentlemen, that should be a good Lesson to all of us, uh, when a person wants prayer, especially when they ask for prayer, 
we need to pray with them. We, we shouldn't just uh, make up our mind that, that they're drunk or they're this or they're that, but uh, we need to follow through and pray with them. Um, only God knows the heart of any single person and the condition of the heart. And sometimes when we want to judge people by their past or by their outward appearance, sometimes we make horrible mistakes. And so this is a good, I believe, a good illustration where we need to just do what the person wants. If they want us to pray with them, we need to pray with them. And then let the Holy Spirit continue to do the rest and continue to lead us. Um, Ron? Yes, my friend. And, and you know, I, I, I really, my heart goes out to my friend because I understood how much, you know, he, we talk now, we're good friends, you know. I mean, we're still close friends. And he knows I'm a pastor and I'm a chaplain and, and all the uh, ministry work that I've done in the last 20 years. And he said, I'll be honest with you. I just got to be honest. He said, I didn't think you'd make it. I just I, I thought I was wasting my time. But you know what? We we're still great friends. And I understand because you would have had to see my lifestyle and had to understand my lifestyle to see who was kneeling down drunk on the side of the road that day. Yeah, I can only imagine uh, listening to your testimony that, again, somebody that knew you well, they would just about have to be like a doubting Thomas. Man, I've got to touch this. Is this real? But uh, praise God, again, I believe that people need to just uh, take people's request and follow through and pray and not just judge them. Oh, it won't mean anything. You were drunk, but it meant something. Oh, I was, I was, I was totally drunk, but I can tell you something. God sobered me up. I mean, he sobered me up and, and I felt a weight come off of me years and years and years of all this sin of all the, all the things that I've done to try to satisfy to try to satisfy that longing in my life and, uh, and to try to try to fulfill that thing, that, that empty void that's inside us. You know, we were created to serve God. That's right. I was in a business meeting. I, I bought, I had bought a, a fleet of trucks off worldwide equipment and I had a business meeting that I went to and I had the top men from Mac incorporated sitting in a room and somebody asked the wrong question of me. They said, why are you so happy all the time? And I got to tell my story and there were multimillionaire after multimillionaire in there, womenizers, alcoholics, drug addicts, all these men were in there. And I got to share my story with them how, you know what, we were created to serve God in anything outside of serving God and you will have a void in your life. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this warning radio program today, my special guest has been Pastor Ronald Dimmeling. Uh, he was in my meetings in Bristol, Virginia, and uh, I hope you heard this entire radio interview. If not, go to my website, www.worldministries.org, and listen to it. But uh, previous warlord, bar fighter, womanizer, into drugs, you know, pills, pot, alcohol, all the women he could ever want, over 300 Yet he got tired of it. He wasn't happy. Nothing satisfied him. Uh, he had what money could buy, cars, airplanes, yachts. But yet there was a void. 
And uh, the only thing that can fill that void is is a relationship with God because we were meant to have a relationship. We were made in his image. We're supposed to have a relationship. When we continue in sin, we break that relationship and that part of us is void. It's empty. And uh, that's why we look for all of these other things for fulfillment. My phone number is 360-629-5248, 360-629-5248. Right now, if you're listening to this message, you've been listening, accept Christ if you don't know him. Amen. Accept him now. I gave you the phone number, 360-629-5248. Telephone, operators are there. They'll pray with you. We'll send you Christian literature. We'll send you pastoral articles every month free. Father God, right now as a people are weighing in the balance, they're in the balance. Again, they know they need you and they're saying it right now in their heart. Father God, I'm sorry. Receive me. I want to follow you in Jesus' name. Again, telephone 360-629-5248. We'll be glad to welcome you into the family of God. May God richly bless you. Pastor Ron, thank you for being with me today. Thank you, my friend. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Tune in at this same time, Monday through Friday, on this radio station for the next exciting edition of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.